Welcome to episode number 136 of the Canadian Prepper Podcast. We're recording on November the 7th, 2021. My name's Eric. I'm the host of the show, based in Southern Ontario. I'm a hunter, albeit a poor one, uh, target shooter, ham radio operator, and computer geek. Uh, as a first responder, I witnessed an over-reliance on emergency services during major events, and I started a small preparedness company to help people get ready prepared for at least 72 hours, if not longer. My name is Ian. I live on Vancouver Island. I'm a student in preparedness and part-time hobby farmer. I'm Scott, a first responder splitting my time between southern and northern Ontario. I like learning things and I don't accept that things will always carry on as they have just because it would be convenient for everyone. And I'm Jeff. I'm based in central Ontario. I'm a target shooter, new ham radio operator and general overall handyman. <laughs> Hi guys, I'm Brad. I'm in eastern Ontario. I've been in preparedness in some way, shape, or form since uh, around the ice storm of 98. I'm constantly trying to better myself. And I'm Josh. I'm a trade call sign KI6NAZ from the Ham Radio Crash Course on YouTube and just uh, happy to be out here. Thanks, everybody. Yeah, welcome to the show, Josh. Thanks welcome for coming Josh. in. Want to help support the show and keep the Canadian Prepper Podcast on the air? Buy some swag. We have both the Canadian Prepper Podcast t-shirt and the tactical Velcro patch at prepperpodcast.ca. All proceeds help keep the lights on, the backup generator, and wood gas fire fueled. <laughs> <laughs> okay, where's Kyle? It's a minute, 33 seconds. <laughs> if you're enjoying the show, please take a few minutes and like us on Facebook and submit a review on iTunes. Also, we want your feedback, good, bad, or whatever. Even if there's something you want us to talk about, you can email us at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. All right, so we've got some multi-band content for you in this episode. Yes, the poor dad jokes just continue with episode 136. <laughs> uh, first, we're going to start out with some news articles. Then we're going to move into uh, what we've done lately for preps. And then we'll get into the main topic. Some more ham radio with uh, Josh. So let's move into the news. Awesome. So just so you can say never say never, uh, there was a tornado in Vancouver yesterday. Um, first one I think I can remember ever. Like that's over like the last 40 years or so um, happened to touch down right near where my daughter goes to university. Of course, she didn't even notice because she was busy working, I guess, but <laughs> it was uh, a pretty good set of footage. You could see on the, uh, the news stations. It shows it touching down right near the airport and everything else. Um, but yeah, just it goes to show you, you should be prepared for everything. So now we're tornado yeah. country too. That's anyway. wild. Yeah. I mean, deal with the power outages and the rain and everything else that's been going on lately. It's been kind of a crazy week and it, I don't think it's, we've probably had about, 14 inches of rain in the last maybe maybe week it's Whoa. crazy anyway uh another reason as to why i hate large crowds uh, down in houston um there was a concert that went on there and eight people died 11 had heart attacks and nobody seems to know why somebody was saying somebody's running around with a needle some people were saying they just randomly had heart attacks based on the lights and the sound other people were saying they got trampled to death that's what it's I just heard. a it's a weird situation <laughs> that the, uh, the, the group coordinators didn't uh, size it appropriately for the people there. And they actually got press squeezed crowd squeeze oh. as they called it. Yeah. Oh. And again, you know, large crowds, bad idea. Just saying anyway. Yep. So yeah, it was just, it was a really unusual news article. I haven't seen something like that for a while since that, uh, I think it happened back in the, 70s or 80s in Cincinnati, I think it was. There's like a stampede of, of that type of thing or a crushing. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, well, that's all I had. All right. 
Uh, I've got a news article here just in regards to the um, border opening up between uh, Canada and the U.S. So Border Services issued a travel advisory as uh, the U.S. opens land borders to Canadian travelers again. So things are slowly starting to return to, I guess, normal? I'm actually in Canada right now. I'm actually in Canada right now. Ah. I'm really? I, I, no, okay. Okay. <laughs> you, can, you can stream from anywhere, so it's totally plausible. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it's uh, it's all open back up. Fully vaccinated travelers will be allowed to enter the United States for non-essential reasons. But on the way back, you still need that test. So, Which is ridiculous. Whatever. So yeah. where anybody it, wants it to go over for the day to shop or anything, they've got to get a test before they can come back, even though they're fully vaccinated. Well, they made it economically unfeasible to do so. It's, there's, there's no more mm-hmm. cross-border shopping for a, a gas station fill-up yeah. like we used to do here. Is now the test is about two hundred bucks. So why would you bother? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I've got. Uh, Brad, you got a news article? Oh, you're muted, Brad. There we go. Sorry, got the the dog playing around in the room as well for the <laughs> few minutes here. Um, dairy prices, everything's going up about eight eight point four percent The article I read from uh, CBC New Brunswick was that the Dairy Commission decided on an increase after their normal queries with farmers, restaurants, and others in the industry. It's double the, la- the last highest increase, which is 4.54% in 2017. Normal increases are around 1% to 2%. The last 18 months have seen a lot of other food-related increases as well going up. And uh, dairy has stayed all the same since. Now they're going to hit the family budget as well by going up that much. And yogurt, cheese, milk, everything's going up sometime in two or three months from now. And yet three months ago, they had the Quebec Dairy Award dumping milk in the fields. Exactly, right? Yeah. I've had farmers around here that I've grown up with. Like I went to school with them. They took over the family farm. They're all saying it's a kind of about time, but on the ironic side of that is, yeah, they were all dumping milk three, four, five months ago because the, uh, the, the, um, the dairies wouldn't take it. And now they're all shooting their prices up. Yeah. And I, I mean, and, and don't get me wrong. I, I mean, it's just the cost of everything's going up. Their feed, the cost of their feed is going yeah. up. And I mean, everything else is just, I mean, what's our inflation rate now? 4.1 the last month, I think it was. So, and I mean, it's only going to keep going up. So as everything else goes up, people got to start raising their prices. They don't have a choice. Either that or they go out of business. Yeah. Why didn't they accept the milk? Well, Quebec uh, Dairy Board's a bit of a mafia at best, and uh, they like to keep prices jacked up. <laughs> and they were really upset, for example, when U.S. dairy products were allowed to come across the border, even though it only constituted like 3% of the market, and uh, because they like to keep everything super high. So, yeah, supply and demand. They just decided to dump a bunch of stuff off to keep the uh, supply tight and demand high. Mm. And uh, if they actually let a free market happen it would be an amazing difference in prices real fast. But of course, a lot of people in certain certain districts would lose their, their farm because they couldn't compete to start with. So that's what they, they're trying to prevent, right? Mm-hmm. So price controls never work. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Different podcast though. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's tomorrow night. Yep. yep. 
Jeff? So I've got a couple of news articles. The first one was, um, now this happened a year ago, but they just recently uh, actually released the information on it that uh, there was an attempted drone strike on a large U.S. Uh, power substation. Obviously, it wasn't successful. It was somewhere in Pennsylvania, and it was actually fairly rudimentary. They just simply attached a very long um, conductible wire to the back of the, the drone, and the idea was to just fly it into the the substation and just have it short out all of the wiring. Um, for whatever reason, the uh, the drone crashed before it got there. Who knows why? Um, but if you think about it, it, it kind of, you know, it's funny that they, they put it out there to let all the terrorists or people that want to do harm, hey, this is how you do it because guess what? The fences don't cover the top and, I mean, wouldn't stop you from cutting a padlock anyways, but um, I just kind of found that interesting, but. Um, yeah, what's not the, drone the first time? Days, probably right? won't be the last. Yeah. Well, under the banner of asymmetric warfare, I mean, yeah, they just gave uh, some pretty detailed instructions on how you could cheaply take out a substation with a you know, wire and a drone, yeah. and uh, they also mentioned how you know uh, efficient it was or how effective it was anyway. And uh, unfortunately, I guess these guys had never heard of rotor wash before. You know, when it swirls the, the, the cable around, it's probably just not a heavy enough cable. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Could be it. And my other one, just on the, um, you know, the worldwide instability and everything that's been going on, there was an attempted assassination on Iraq's prime minister the other day. Uh, it was unsuccessful, but um, had it been successful, who knows what the fallout of, from that would have been. Um, maybe anything for us, who knows, maybe not. But, I mean, tensions are already at, a, at the peak there. You've got some countries that do have nuclear capabilities and now they're trying to murder each other's prime ministers. So that can't be good then in the long term. So what could go he had, on? He had information leading to the rest of Hillary Clinton, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Uh, <laughs> so here comes the sun. Uh, about a week ago, there was a massive solar flare and the uh, corresponding coronal mass ejection. Uh, it registered as a G3 uh, on, on the NOAA scales, which corresponds to like a one in a hundred year storm. Uh, sadly, it was cloudy around here because I was really hoping to see uh, some impressive northern lights. Um, but the funny thing was it happened the day after I read a great book on EMPs and solar storms and went and looked at the, the website, it's sort of something that's been in my radar. Uh, and I'm like, oh, wow, there's a big storm coming. And, you know, not thinking anything of it because I don't really have any other reference to know how often these storms come on this website. So apparently it's one in a hundred year storm. Uh, I've looked for details of any damage. Uh, I haven't found any articles sort of stating there's been any damage, so that's good news. Um, the Canadian power grid being on a lot of Canadian shield is extra susceptible to um, to sort of that those low frequency big energy events. Uh, but the sun is entering uh, a sort of period of more peak energy, so better for radio propagation, but. <laughs> Uh, might have some consequences for uh, other technologies. W was anybody on the air on their radios when this happened, by the way? 
and show of hands oh. here. Uh, it it shuts the radio off, like HF. It, it and not not turns it off, but the bands just disappear. Like there's all everybody's talking, and then all of a sudden just goes like they just you know the sun turned off the 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 radio propagation, and that's it. It just goes quiet. It's very eerie when that happens. The radio wow. blackout phase, yeah, mm-hmm. and that's that's from the solar flare that's coming, correct? Yeah, that's right. So I think that was Thursday, Thursday the twenty eighth, maybe something like that. Uh, it was, yeah, the, the, yeah. The, or at least what I heard was they said it. Uh, what they thought was going to be closer to a more direct hit was actually they said it was really close. It was only a couple of million kilometers away from us. So, but they said it was really close. Mm-hmm. So there was no uh, there was no damage or any power outages or anything. I don't know, Josh, if if. It did affect the radios, but uh, it didn't. It didn't do any other damage. Just the per, just the um, the propagation, right? Everybody stopped being able to propagate, basically. So the band just yeah. kind of went. They died out. There's a wonderful person. Her name's Tamitha Scove, space weather woman on Twitter, and she releases weekly updates on what's going on with the sun for sun weather. And uh, she talked about it a lot. It's really really interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. Nice. All right. Shall we move into what we've done lately for preps? Well, because I was aware that this storm was coming, I, I decided maybe it's a good time to start charging my cell phone and iPad and stuff from a battery instead of having it plugged into the grid. Um, those great big long antennas that are going to absorb all sorts of energy and pass it right into my sensitive electronics. Um, anyway, got me thinking. So I've been experimenting with different ways of charging from a battery overnight and then just charging the battery whenever. Nice. Brad. Muted, Brad. (sighs) Not a bad idea, Scott, for sure, to start doing that. Um, This week I did a big cleanup, clean out of my storage room in the basement. Took down a bunch of plants that were still hanging outside. Started drying those inside. Pierre from the other CPP and I met up with Ian. He was in town on Monday, went for coffee. That was kind of cool. Nice to actually shake the man's hand and uh, just plodding along around here like everybody else. So he is real. He is real. Yeah, I can attest to that fact for sure. It was actually kind of funny because they told me they were outside. So I went outside the hotel and I took a, you know, I looked to the right and I saw this big sweater sticking out there. I was like, yeah, I know that one. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty awesome. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So I just did a little bit of, uh, actually, not a little bit. I did a lot of food prep uh, this last uh, week and weekend. I had, Last week, done my uh, monthly Costco trip, so I did a bunch of uh, Instant Pot, about six of them I did up. I did some chicken broccoli, I did some chili, did some goulash. It's all in the freezer, ready to go. The impending uh, winter's coming, obviously, so I got the snow tires on my truck as well. Nice. All right, for myself, uh, we ordered some antibiotics for uh, the fish tank. So we tested uh, Dr. Alton's theory there on the fact that they would ship them to Canada, and they will. So uh, my fish will be uh, well-dosed as soon as I get them. Uh, <laughs> uh, up to my ham game a little bit. So uh, I'm going to start getting into some uh, parks on the air. 
So nice. uh, I dusted off the uh, the Zygu X108G that has been sitting on my shelf for a couple of years. Uh, dusted her off. She fires up and works still. So uh, ordered up a couple of uh, antennas. So grabbed a, a Hustler 20 and 40 meter and a mag mount for the truck. And I'm going to go test that out tomorrow and see how, uh, see how I can get some uh, mobile HF going. Uh, and then uh, just got out to the hunt camp. Hence my comment in the uh, the intro there, being a, a terrible hunter, because uh, I hunted more beer out of the cooler than I did deer <laughs> out of the forest, but nothing wrong with that. So, and then um, yes, this wonderful mustache that is starting. Uh, I'm back in uh, Movember again, so uh, growing the mustache for a good cause. So, sorry, it's going to look creepy for the next couple of uh, live streams, and uh, if there's enough votes, maybe I'll turn the camera off so everybody keeps coming back. But uh, it's starting to grow out. It'll be here for a month unless I lose the, the competition at work. Then uh, I have to grow it out and keep it out till the end of December for family photos. Yeah. Do you guys do that November down in the States, uh, Josh? I do. Um, I sometimes will trim this back, but I, I was already kind of long. And then we hit November and I'm like, well, I can't trim it now. That's going to look weird. So I guess I'm just going going full throttle into, into November. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I guess because I have a beard, I never did the mustache thing. But um, I figure I could still do the beard, right? Yeah. yeah we'll see. I'm, I'm going to try the full face beard and mustache and everything and see how that goes this year. Maybe I'll look less creepy. Maybe more. I don't know. We'll find out. <laughs> Have you ever done it before? But, uh, do the nope. whole grow out? I haven't, done, I haven't done the whole grow out. So oh, cool. I might try that. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see how it goes. But the stash is at least staying for the month. <laughs> Back when I was clean shaving, I tried to do it for a few days. And it. Uh, I think after day three, the wife just told me to go shave it off because it was just getting... Too horrible. So, <laughs> anyway, uh, as for myself, uh, naturally, a range trip. I had to change out some optics, uh, upgraded a couple, sold a couple on CGN. Uh, Shocking. Go. Shocking. And then, yeah. so yeah, just a couple range trips for that. Did some armed hiking, also known as hunting. Uh, not really trying too hard in that case as well. Got a full freezer already. Don't really need the stuff. And I'd have to do a bunch of canning then. So, I just wasn't really enthused. Um, but most importantly, I bought a bug out trailer uh, the last couple weeks, I guess, uh, nice. since I've been on and off the episode. Uh, it's actually a single horse trailer, and it's actually as old as I am, I think, but it's in really good shape. And it's got a bunch of potential, I guess, for LED lighting, and it's a fiberglass, relatively light, tandem wheels. But the problem is that my truck was totally unprepared for it, so I actually had to put new springs and a brake module and change out the wiring pin setup. And uh, so, yeah, I spend a lot of time just uh, changing the truck up for, for this trailer so I can haul around the livestock and other random stuff in case of emergency. So that's kept me busy. Um, yeah, like Brad mentioned, yeah, I got to meet up with Pierre and Brad in, in Ottawa. That was pretty awesome. And uh, of that, but just been trying to keep dry. De- dealt with the power outage that was uh, seven or eight <laughs> hours long, I think. And then I, th- I think we had another one that was like two hours in the middle of the night, but it was pretty minor. Other than that, it's just been heavy rain. So uh, that's pretty much it. Well, I did some kind of, guess, uh, normal stuff. I went to Aldi and uh, stocked up a little bit extra cans like we normally do. We've got a can rotation system. Uh, picked some up, some extra stuff. And what my wife did, which I, I highly recommend anybody think about this, uh, if you normally wait till the middle of this month or next month before you buy any gifts that may be coming around this time of year, this season, um, maybe do that now. We actually kind of wrapped up all of our shopping for the holiday season last month because shipping times are outrageous we don't even know that we're going to get some of the stuff we ordered uh and then i picked up some ammo so you know nine millimeter 7.62 by 39 so just the just the normal stuff (laughs) (laughs) that sounds normal at least around here (laughs) 
All right. With yeah. that, how about we get into the main topic of the show? So if you hadn't guessed already, we're, uh, we're talking ham radio. So I wanted to, and we've got uh, Josh here from the ham radio crash course. And I figured we'd start things out just touching on the differences between uh, the American licensing system and the Canadian licensing system. Uh, Cause we get a lot of listeners from the States. Um, obviously we're in Canada. Um, so there's, there are some differences in the licensing and, and what's required in the different levels um, that gain you different access to things. Uh, so uh, in Canada, just to touch on the basics, we've got um, the basic uh, operator, which uh, is a hundred question test. And if you get 80% or higher, you get basic with honors. Uh, basically honors gives you access to HF, uh, which is a nice, uh, nice little bonus. Um, if you don't hit that 80%, you can obviously retest until you do hit that 80% and then you can get your honors. So there's no limit on going back to retest. Uh, and then of course, depending on your examiner, depends on the, the cost that they want to charge you to do the test so they can recoup their cost, but it's not going to be anything overly extensive cost-wise. Um, and then our second level uh, is the advanced, which is a, a 50 question multiple choice test. Um, and that just gives you a little bit more power to transmit with and the ability to uh, build your own, own equipment and uh, maintain a repeater system. So if you're in a club that has a repeater, that allows you to go and actually um, work on that repeater and maintain and be a, a repeater keeper. So uh, it's kind of handy to have if you're going to get involved in your club and, and help out locally. Uh, those are our, our two basic levels or our two levels of certification. I believe uh, the U.S. has three. Is that right, Josh? We do. Uh, I actually got to say, I really do like the basic with honors approach to the yeah. first level of license that Canada does. We don't have that in the United States. We have technician, which gives you really only 10 meters. And then some HF bands are uh, Morse code only. I really like the Canadian approach to this because I think not starting out hams with a with a bit of HF, usable functional HF is is a is a mistake. So I, I, I like what you guys what what's uh who who's the uh we've got the FCC coordinating body in Canada is what? Uh, so that's... I know UK is Ofcom, I think. Well, it yeah, used to so be called, yeah, it used to be called yeah, uh, say. Industry Canada. Now it's like yeah. Science and Development Canada. Okay. Yeah, they, they, they renamed it and it's a big, long, but everybody still calls it Industry Canada. Okay, okay. Yeah. And next year it'll be something different just to keep us on our toes. Right, but, right. But yeah, it's uh, yeah. Industry Canada. Everybody knows what you mean when you say Industry Canada here. Okay. Um, so they're the, the main governing body for it. Uh, the other thing I didn't touch on for, um, cause everybody wants to always know how much power can I transmit? How much power can I use? Which, you know, yeah. Okay. It's, sure. Uh, for uh, basic you're, uh, you're looking at about, was it 250? And then for, if you get into your advanced, you're looking at a kilowatt. So a thousand Watts. So is, uh, is your transmitting limits there? Um, so if anybody wants to, to talk power and how much power you can transmit, that's where we're at for, for those two, two levels. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's, it's different in, in the states, I'd imagine, for your your power, it, there, Josh. It is, it is. But uh, to be honest, again, that that's also not bad. I, I think the UK they got a limit of like twenty five, like when you get the foundation level, or twenty, <laughs> uh, and then they got like a weird forty five, or anyway, um, or four fifty. But yeah, we go basically um, fifteen hundred watts is kind of our limit for um, most most bands that we can operate on uh technician does have a limit but uh i can't remember off the top of my head i thought we were just talking about canada today <laughs> that's fine <laughs> <laughs> <kidding>. no problem <laughs> yeah so let's uh 
Yeah, I always found it interesting how different countries kind of do their licensing and, and break things up. But yeah, I, I agree. I, I like the fact that uh, we're allowed to get into some HF uh, areas with the with the basic because very important. Really, it's yeah. You can you can hang out on two meters, seventy centimeters for a while, but yeah, the worldwide contacts is is the fun part. Not to say the local contacts aren't fun, but there's uh, nothing better than getting that uh, that DX right. Oh, indeed, that's my favorite joke. Is uh, you got three hams in a in a city. And there'll be two ham clubs because eventually you're just, you just, you talk to enough people and you're like, okay, I want to talk to people further away. And particularly up in Canada, you guys are a little bit yep. more spread out in some cases than we are. True. Um, yep. So HF's where it at, where it's at, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's fun to talk to the local guys where you're driving to the grocery store, but uh, mm-hmm. sometimes it's also good to be able to talk to people all over the place, especially when there's, I don't know, a pandemic going on. Indeed. Kind of handy to get some information there. Um, yeah. Uh, let's see, where do we want to go? Um, use and preparedness. can open that up because that's, uh, that's a huge, there's a huge, huge use for this in, in the preparedness world. Um, just communication on its own is a big, big thing. It's nice to be able to, to talk to your group if, uh, if we're in a, uh, a shit hit the fan kind of situation. Um, comms is, is key, right? So being able to get information from around the world via HF or get local information from your, your local repeater is a huge, huge asset uh, and something that, you know, is, is going to be integral to, to getting that information out, but also receiving that information in, uh, depending on where things are happening. You can relay the information to somebody to tell them that something bad's happening at home, don't come home or vice versa. So it's, uh, it's handy there. Well, and I think around here, there's also a lot of Aries groups that um, infrastructure, you know, first responders, part of the plan is to use these amateur radio operators to create a, a network so you can communicate within yep. uh, grid down situations, power down, network down, whatever, um, because it's independent technology. And I understand, Josh, there's some sort of a, a, like a military setup like Mars down in the States. Uh, do you guys uh, participate in that at all, or like uh, is it a common thing? Military Auxiliary Radio Service or system. I think it's service. So once upon a time, it used to exist as the way that we used to do uh, phone calls, like back uh, during Vietnam, where okay. hams would actually broker calls to soldiers back home to talk to family and whatnot. Now it's gone more towards a emergency preparedness bend. It does exist and there are voluntary or volunteer hours that you have to keep up if you go down that. Generally it's it's hams that are that are the active participants of of Mars. But you know, we've we've got Aries, uh, which is the amateur radio Rayleigh League emergency service, right? That kind of functions as that emergency preparedness arm and races is the FCC or uh, FCC in a combination with Homeland Security, I think, system, which is, you know, emergency preparedness, emergency communication preparedness. I think we've got something similar in the, in Canada, but I, I've never heard anybody actually using it. It's uh, yeah. called CFARS, <laughs> the Canadian Forces Amateur or Auxiliary Radio Service or something like that, but never seen much, uh, much action on that. So I, I think that those are all good you know, things to be involved in if you're interested in it. But a lot of times when I'm talking about radio, I'm talking about my group, my family, my friends. Um, that can be its own thing. Uh, you don't need to have a, a you don't need to be a, a belong to a special group to prepare personally, right, with communications. It's always a, a it's one leg or a point on a triangle is for me, it's comms, firearms and and first aid. Those are kind of like the three main things that I think people should 
focus on a little bit more. And I'll tell you, everybody's weakest corner of their triangle is is comms. I can almost guarantee it. Um, so that's that's one of the things I like to hit on a lot. Well, especially like you're just yeah. you're just outside of VHF range, and you know to get to that HF setup going is is much more difficult than just having a, a Baofeng handy. So I think if you've got a family that's you know two three hundred miles away. That's where it could really shine in case of an extended power outage because after the cell towers die after about 48, 72 hours yeah. and so on, I could definitely see a, a positive aspect to it there. Yeah. Yeah. And it's oddly enough, the, the VHF UHF stuff will do really well for you. It's just really a question of if you're, if you're stepping out of those handhelds, like everybody's buying the cheap handhelds, those will work if you're like close. Yeah. Um, but if you really want to shine, you got to start looking a bit outside that space. While still being VHF UHF, which is good, but you know, yeah, the uh, the bale fangs are certainly popular and great radio to kind of start out with, and the small, any other lower powered um, handy talkie. Yeah, Jeff's got his little TYT there. It's uh, yeah, great, uh, great to start out with, and great for close close communications. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, branching out into your your bigger UHF VHF rigs or, or your HF rigs. It's an addiction. Let's let's not lie. Once you once you get that handheld, you're getting the the more powerful stuff. You want all those whiz bang features, yeah. right? That go along. Oh with yeah, it. yeah, exactly. You want all the fun stuff that half the time you're not going to use, but it's there if you want to. Ooh, I think waterfall. <laughs> the waterfall. Yeah. I yeah, mean, even uh, when you're trying to talk in a, in a vehicle convoy, and you know, you listen to CB radio and just the absolute cacophony of, of sounds going on there, and it's just all garbled yeah. and everything else. Whereas it's nice and quiet and sedate uh, relatively on the uh, the ham radio bands. Yeah. We we did True. have a fun thing happen. The FCC just authorized FM for CB down here for for traditional oh. CB eleven meters. So that that should be interesting. We'll start yeah, to see be, yeah. FM CBs hit the market here in the future, which I, I think is good. Right. I think that's good. Sure. Yeah. Hey, any any comms is better than no comms. That's right. Yeah. But still, get your ham license. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. So. Yes. Everybody out there yeah. was harassing me. Get your ham license, damn it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, you finally got it, Jeff. Uh, yeah. So uh, when we start getting into the whole ham radio world, you know, you get into the handhelds, you start moving into your base stations. Next is, is usually where you transition to. Um, that's where you kind of start looking at HF and, and getting into the worldwide uh, kind of. Uh, propagation and, and talking and such uh, but let's get into maybe the good the bad and the uh, the ugly with antennas and start a huge internet fight because why not <laughs> <laughs> i mean we, we can yeah. just go down the list from where you started you went like yeah. ho um you know handheld yep. base station i i would argue if you're vhf uhf a, a, a mobile radio kind of would That's, qualify as yeah. a base station yeah 50 I, would, watts. I would agree yep yeah so a lot of times handheld radios those antennas are not good, right? If you're thinking the bands of operation are two meters and 70 centimeters, well, you're not running, you know, a one meter stick of wire sticking up there. You've got a little stubby thing. So that means that there's yeah. probably some kind of coil or something in there that's allowing it to make your radio happy or think the yeah. radio is happy to, to allow you to transmit. There are good ones but you generally almost always have to upgrade the antenna that comes with your Baofangs or whatever radio you're buying. Even the, even the $500 handhelds, those, those antennas are not great. We generally upgrade them. Yep. Oh, it's the first thing I did when I got the, mm -hmm. the Baofang is put a Nagoya antenna on it and then put the counterpoise on it to make it actually happen. And that's a real thing. People ask me that all the time. They're like, hey, is that tiger tail or that rat tail or whatever people are calling on the internet now? Hey, is that a real thing? Yeah, it's a real thing. It, it yep. totally is. It'll help you. Oh, 
Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, once you spiral off of the, uh, the handhelds and you get into your base stations, one, uh, one tends to pop up in your shack, one will pop up or maybe even two in your vehicle. Yep. Uh, and they just slowly start to, uh, to show up all over the place. But yeah, uh, the antenna is key. That's, uh, something not to cheap out on, uh, that and the coax, right? Oh, indeed. Definitely. Yeah. And if you're, um, if you're higher frequency, which VHF UHF is higher frequency yeah. stuff, uh, that's actually where the coax is oftentimes more important so good coax is really important yep. there for everybody that's thinking about getting a mobile radio or anything like that you know like something you put in a car you can set that up at home right you can buy a little power supply or just run off of a battery and if you want to do something for an antenna to use with your mobile radio for 50 watts output most handhelds are five watts right 50 watts way bigger um take a mag mount for a car throw it on the back of a cookie sheet and, and put that up on something in your home. And, and there you go. It's not the most perfect so, uh, solution, but it'll work. Or if you got a filing yep. cabinet, boom, mag mount right on top. And you can, you yep. can get going with that. Yeah. That's exactly how I kind of started out. I had a little, uh, it was a TYT TH 9,800 mm-hmm. and a mag mount with, uh, with an antenna on it. Yep. It's out in the back deck, put it out. I didn't have it on the, uh, the cookie sheet. I just put it on the deck, just yep. something to hold the antenna up and yeah, away I went. Mm-hmm. And then the addiction started. <laughs> and now there's antennas on the chimney and there's coax everywhere and yeah but uh, well look yeah. at that antenna farm you got yeah. behind yeah. you right yeah. there right? and then this and antenna then farm here behind it's not oh, a it's right. not a green screen at all it, no, that's, no, that's no. the backyard that's what it looks like yeah that's that looks a direct camera out the window yeah that's right so, yeah but <laughs> between uh, the mustache and the antenna farm your wife is very understanding oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah uh, but yeah that's it's all about just getting on the air and and you know, you're not going to have a, a big elaborate setup right off the, the go because just starting to learn and figure things out, mm-hmm. uh, which kind of brings me to my favorite question. And I believe it's yours too, Josh is why the heck do I need a license? I'll just transmit when shit hits the fan. It, yeah. It's not, I got, I got flack for this uh, and I'm not, I'm not throwing shade and I can talk about this because this is a preparedness uh, channel and podcast. Uh, I have said in the past that, I can probably get someone shooting a firearm faster than I can get someone effectively using a radio. Now, that doesn't mean necessarily in a high tense self-defense situation, but actually battery of arms use a firearm. I think I could get them on that a lot faster than I could. Tell them, go program this Baofeng and here's how to do it, right? <laughs> yep. uh, there is a, it's it's not the same, you know, process as the fine motor skills of using a firearm to the somewhat mental thing that you got to do with the radio but you don't just walk out there and go well uh power grid's down uh it could have been an emp i I guess i should uh pull out that instruction manual and start reading up on how to use this baofeng it doesn't work that way you you can't just walk into an emergency situation and go well i'm I'm really glad i bought that baofeng and it's been sitting uh (laughs) unused on a shelf for the last six months uncharged it it never opened it Uh, i'll just figure out how to use it let's go so I, I love this question because yes, you, you absolutely could get on the radio and, and be like, help, help, I need help. But likely the only thing you're doing is one, not be successful. And two, nope. you're, you're, cra- you're crowding up the usable frequencies for the people that actually know how to use it in some cases. Yep. So generally, uh, why we say become licensed to, to get to know the radio is so that when you need to depend on it, you'll have that built-in muscle memory for how to use it, right? From the knowledge you've picked up on the way. Yeah. And you'll know what frequencies are often used and what ones aren't. And if you're in that emergency situation where you're just trying to get help, 
you want the frequency where you're most likely going to get somebody. And the only right. way you're going to figure that out is by actually transmitting and talking to people on those frequencies. So it's, it goes back to what we've been saying for all, what, 136 episodes? Practice, mm -hmm. know how to use your gear. And the only way you can do that with ham radio is, well, without breaking the law anyways, is to have your license and, and transmit, right? Well, yeah. I can't imagine having a, a mutual assistance group, like six, eight guys, all with matching radios, and none of them programmed with Chirp, and having to hand program them after the shit hits the fan. <laughs> but try to, to match up frequencies yep. and, you know, yep. and CTCSS codes and everything else. And it's just, yep. why would you, like... I guess for time saving is alone, you'd want to get that done ahead of time. Or at least know how to do it too. Right. Oh yeah. But, yeah. You just put on your uh, your your plate carrier, and you got your load bearing harness all kitted out, and you're like, oh, what's the PL tone again? Uh, for <laughs> what, what, what repeater are we going to be using? Yeah. And you're, the you're all my... high speed, low drag. What uh, what yeah. antenna am I supposed to use for this thing? Yeah. Uh, and the radio is <laughs> on my back, and I, I can't even reach it right now. Right. Yep. It's yeah. Yeah. It, yeah it's no. you know Evans in the chat, and he says it's just like a firearm. It's of no use without practice. It's true. It, it's it's not the same type of you know again the muscle memory and and the the hard skill set practice you need to fire a, a firearm correctly and accurately. But there is a lot of pre work you got to do, homework if you will. Uh, and the only way to really progress down that road is to get licensed and and to to work with people that know how to do it. Sure, there's YouTube and books and all that fun stuff, but I, I often recommend people find a good club, find somebody that knows about it, and learn from them. Yeah. And the best part about that, too, and I've mentioned it in a couple of our other um, ham episodes, is most likely you are going to run into like-minded uh, individuals who mm -hmm. also have that same uh, same mindset of things aren't always going to be the way you think they are, and we're going to grab a couple extra cans of beans and a few more antennas and some more ammo because... I've actually met more like-minded people on the local repeaters than I do just buzzing around town or on Facebook or on whatever it is you, you do. Um, you find more people that are like-minded when you're on the repeater generally, yep. i found. Yeah, that's awesome that way. Mm -hmm. uh, but speaking of that, um, another popular question, I'm sure you get it a lot as well, Josh, is just how exactly far can I reach and then just all stop? Yeah, so reach, it depends. Yeah. This is a really good question because it, it draws into a bit of understanding for how these radios work and what frequencies they're operating on. So if you if you think of a radio frequency that starts out at, you know, zero, let's say, and goes all the way up until the point that you're infrared and it becomes visible light, um, the radio spectrum is within that space. So we're talking, when you start out, you may go get a Baofeng. That's let's call it 140-something megahertz and 440-something megahertz. Those frequencies, they like to just travel right on through the air and out of our atmosphere and away from the planet. So they also get absorbed by trees. They get blocked by buildings, et cetera, et cetera. So if you're, if you're just holding a handheld on the ground and the RF is coming out of that antenna going in all directions because it's a vertical antenna. It's called an omnidirectional antenna. It's mainly going to keep going until it's either absorbed or it just passes on by the planet and out into space kind of thing. So roughly, depending on your height of antenna, you may be able to get a couple miles out of a Baofeng before that radiated RF just gets absorbed. You can greatly increase your propagation with this line of sight RF wave by getting your antenna higher up off the ground. Mm -hmm. 
So if you got a, a peak, a real high point on your roof and you mount an antenna on that, that's VHF, UHF, you're going to get out further. Your line of sight is going to increase. It's just like when you get up on a mountaintop and you look out over the vast expanse around you, you can see a lot further, right? Because you, you've got a higher vantage point. Same thing with the radio. And in fact, the, the, the towers that are behind Eric there are on a mountaintop, right? They're we put radio towers on mountaintops for that reason so that yep. people that are lower in the ground or maybe even down in a valley or a depressed area can still reach up to that mountaintop that they can see. And then the mountaintop can propagate further. So that's just VHF, UHF, right? That's the handy talkies, your car, mobile radios. If you talk HF, well, the frequencies now shift lower, lower frequencies. With lower frequencies, we actually... As, it's, as the RF is traveling away from the antenna, it hits the atmosphere. And some that some of the RF that's not absorbed by the atmosphere will bend back down to Earth. It's called refraction. So it refracts down to Earth, and we get beyond line of sight uh, communications capability that way. So that's when you hear people, you know, you might have heard of ham radio. Oh, my grandfather did that. He would, you know, sit here with this big, huge box that got real hot and he would talk to Indonesia or he would talk to the Azores or, you know, wherever, some far flung location. That's how he's doing it. it it's by bending the RF off of the atmosphere. And that's what I do. I really like HF radio. Uh, I, would, I mentioned it earlier. That's kind of like the, bed, the bread and butter of, of ham radio, in my opinion. It's all value added, but I, I really like HF because of that long distance uh, communication that you can pick up. Yeah, and it's it's awesome how far you can actually get just on a like a hundred watt HF rig. I'm making contacts all around the world with just a hundred watts and, and a wire that's up on my mm -hmm. chimney. It's, yeah, there, it's we're, awesome. we're rolling around to a, a peak sunspot cycle. It was yep. mentioned earlier, right? With the solar flare. Yep. The sun is on an eleven year kind of cycle. There's a low point at the five-year, six-year mark, and then it comes out of that, and it gets real high again where the sunspot index, the amount of sunspots on the sun, the face of the sun, go up. When you have a high sunspot index, HF radio becomes even more powerful, and, and your, your RF will actually propagate further. I've not experienced this, but there are people who they'll transmit from their radio, you know, talking to somebody or, or saying, hey, I'm out here. Who wants to talk? And within a little bit of time, they'll hear themselves get picked up by the oh. radio because huh. it's gone full circle around the planet and actually comes back into their receiver and they can hear themselves. It's rare, but it's a real thing. And that's possible because of the sun. Hmm. Oh, new goal to add to the list. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Making contact with yourself. Yeah. Actually, I guess so how do that, you log that? Yeah. <laughs> send yourself a card naturally. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So quick question, Josh. On that note, I guess basically with your your proclivity for HF, there. I mean, somebody gets freshly licensed, and we're assuming Canada that they get like a basic with the honors, and they have the ability to, to go straight to HF. Mm -hmm. Would you still recommend going like trying HF first, or just sticking with a simpler VHF UHF to get kind of your your toe in the water, and then go to HF afterwards? I mean, the 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 uh, the answer that I like to give, so I can weasel out of it, is hey, do both. Why not? You know, but <laughs> but everybody's got budgets, right? Um, so. Generally, if you're in a sparse location, right, you're in an area where there's not a lot of people and maybe there's not a lot of repeaters. So you're going to have to do some work in this, right? You're going to have to look up online what repeaters you have in your area. And, and repeaters are, again, like the, like the towers on Eric's image. They're up on mountaintops, or at least they are down here. And those repeaters are, are what we use to get further out on our, our VHF handy talkies and UHF handy talkies. 
But if you got none of those in your area and you pull up whatever uh, organization is, is running ham radio in your country and you don't see a lot of hams in your area, then having a line of sight communication to them may be of little value because who are you going to talk to? If you pull up that website and say, oh, we got we got three people that are licensed within a 25-mile radius around you, it's like, well, who am, I, who am I really talking to? I've got an option of two people. But if you go on HF, then you're going into the States. You're going over into the UK. You're getting over into Asia with a what, – what's what's the first level power output, 200 watts, you said? Uh, 250. Yep. 250? Yeah, you'll have no problem with that. And most people use 100-watt radios yep. for a base station. So it's, it's really a question of know where you live, know what it is you're going to be doing, and know who it is you're communicating with or planning to communicate with. That's kind of the, the best answer, I think. Yeah. That's fair. I, I don't want to all... interrupt, guys, um, but I think Chris W. is in some distress. We're seeing some Morse code there. Samuel Morse taught me this originally. Oh, <laughs> yes. It might be carbon yeah. monoxide poisoning. It's hard to say. Oh, That's right. oh, there it is. There it is. 45 minutes, three seconds. We didn't yeah. want Alan to feel left out. No. <laughs> and you know what? That's a... That's a uh, We'll, we'll dive into the esoteric a little bit. Uh, Morse code is a fantastic mode for preparedness, to be honest, because yeah. if, and I'll, this is get a little in the, into the weeds a little bit. Uh, the, the mode that we use to talk um, on the radio most often is called single sideband or even FM for that matter. The bandwidth, the information that, that RF that you're putting out has a very wide bandwidth for all this human intricacies of my voice. If we, if, we, if we took away the character of my voice, you, you barely understand me. But Morse code is a dit or a daw, right? It's beep, beep, that's it, right? Well, that means you can crunch that bandwidth down to a point where it's really tiny. And then even your super low power radio is more efficiently exchanging that information than if I were using my 100 watt base station on voice, right? So... Morse code or what we call CW, continuous wave is the mode generally that you use, is fantastic because it doesn't require a computer. It doesn't require a microphone. Uh, it's just literally a, a stick with a contact to close a circuit. And that's, that's how you do Morse code, right? You can make it out of almost anything. It just takes people knowing it because it's, it's like learning a second language, but it's still an incredibly powerful tool. Oh yeah, it's I'm I'm trying to learn it myself, and it's uh, it's no longer a requirement for licensing here. Mm -hmm. uh, you still can uh, can do it, and you can get it added to your license if you want. Yeah, uh, but uh, nothing says you can't transmit it if you haven't done that test. You still can, but um, it's yeah, fantastic, um, something to know for sure. And like you said, it, it takes next to nothing to get out, and mm -hmm. it can make a, a big long distance. And if, and if it's you're good, thinking good to know. If you're thinking in preparedness terms, off-grid living, that kind of thing, yep. you're going to be more efficient with your power utilization if you use Morse code. Because That's for every point. every uh, amp hour of power you're going to use to run your base station at 100 watts doing single sideband, you can probably get away with using 10 watts on a Morse code uh, radio, maybe even less. So the density of power you must pack in batteries goes down, meaning your backpack portable. The solar panel you need to replenish that battery also scales down. So you don't need to carry such a big outfit um, when you're hiking or if you're going car portable and you got a family full of food and kids and everything, dogs and everything else. 
being able to go scale that back a little bit is kind of food for thought and why you may be interested in that. It's it's the it's one of the last bastions of ham radio and preparedness. I haven't been able to crack that nut yet to incentivize preppers to get into Morse code because I think it's I think it's there. I think we're close. We we just need to push them a little more uh, to get oh, yeah. people more excited about it. I think you just have to coach it the right way. Like if you think about it, I'm sure the American regs say the same thing, but we're not allowed to use any codes that aren't publicly known. Well, that is a publicly right. known code. You're allowed to use it. Right. But just just like a stick shift is an anti-theft device for millennials, I'm pretty sure the Morse code <laughs> would be an unbreakable code to millennials. So, You know, it, uh, that's an interesting way to look at it. And it's, um, yeah, you're not wrong. Because it's also, if you're not really looking for it, you know, your radio, you could you could figure out how to pull it up and, and maybe record it and get it in front of somebody who knows it. But that seems like a whole lot of work with all the message was, hey, I'm over here now. You know, that's where we're going to be at. And that, again, SHTF, nobody's going to care if you send it encoded messages or not. And so that could be a quick little boom, boom, boom. And you're off. You're off and away and you're, you're back to doing yep. what you're doing. Oh, but I, yeah, uh, I, I like the push as well. I think it's worth uh, worth pushing it in the preparedness community and, and people start learning it because. Uh, at the, it's just another tool in the toolbox, right? That's right. At the same time, I, I'm a strong advocate for digital modes because, yep. again, you're, you set a computer up with a radio and you kind of just let them sit there and you can come back to it. You got other things to do. Yep. You're preparing camp. You're doing who knows what. You come back to it and you're like, oh, I got some messages. Yep. Uh, this is a person I was waiting to catch up with. You don't have to be the radio guy, right? You can have inexpensive devices like Raspberry Pis and cheap computers that will interface with your radios. Um, and and you can do a lot with that. And again, it's it's all preparedness minded. It's all something that we should we should consider, depending on how geeky and nerdy you want to yep. go down the rabbit hole for all this stuff. I guess uh, I, I was just going to say Winlink. Yeah, I, that's what we talked about last night Fantastic. on my live stream yep. was Winlink. And oh man, yep. that's that's the new that's the new hotness because now you're interoperating with what we like to call the normies or the muggles, right? The the people that aren't hams. <laughs> so you can email yep. anybody at that point, right? But but you're interoperable. You can be 100 yep. percent off grid. You pull your little radio out. You got your Raspberry Pi. You plop down next to it, or I've got a tiny laptop I like to use. And then boom, you get all your emails out. You pull the emails in, and then you're off. You'll deal with it you know, when you get to where you're going. Yeah, that was awesome. I watched that live stream and uh, yeah, I'm going to be playing around with that now. Another thing I got to goof around with and spend some money on, but that's okay. <laughs> I'm telling you, you can do most of it. You can do most of it on the cheap now. It used to be, yep. that's the that's the best. For everybody that's hearing about Ham Radio the first time listening to me or knew about it, you get to break all your standard assumptions and that this is going to cost you a ton of money. It's still not yep. cheap. I'll, I'll admit yeah. it's still yeah. not cheap, but everything's gotten cheaper with the just influx of great technology we have. What's a Raspberry Pi? 45 bucks, 50 bucks. Sure. You got to mm. learn Linux. That's yeah. the, that's, that's where the cost well, savings yeah. is. You got to learn Linux. Yeah. Um, but with that, you get like full computer control of your radio. And some of these radios, what'd you say you have, Eric, that you, you run for POTA? Uh, so I've got little uh, X108G, the Zygu. Yeah, what was that like? Four hundred bucks, three hundred bucks? Uh, it was. Yeah, it was about five hundred bucks to, okay. to bring it. Like that shipped here to the door. Oh, that so, okay. That might yeah. be why. I think it's a little cheaper yeah. down south. But there are a, a a number of radios that kind of exist in that five hundred, six hundred dollars space where you're like, man, that seems like a lot of money. And then you say, well, yeah, but I can talk to Asia with yeah. this. Look I can talk to I Europe with this without a service. It's yep. it's from my antenna to their antenna. Yep. I didn't pay AT&T. And if AT&T went away tomorrow, who cares? I can Still go works. direct. Yeah, that's yep. right. I'm my that's, own AT&T. 
That's incredibly valuable yeah. if you put if you put the cost into that perspective. Mind you, these are the same people that turn around and buy a thirteen hundred dollar iPhone, right? <laughs> and then go about their business. True. Yep. <laughs> well, I think that's where Melissa was getting at with the uh, the live stream here. She was saying, "What about satellite phones?" Well, you have to rely on the satellite being operable and having one overhead. Um, assuming also you know, a service. Yeah, there's also a subscription service to that. You're assuming that you know, if assuming that nobody's lit the candle in the next warfare and they haven't taken out the satellites or the or the service on here and have a denial service attack, yeah, and so on and so on. Like, yeah, so you're dependent on a third party for equipment, whereas ham, it's point to point, right? Or it's ten, tends to be you know direct to servers. Or yeah, don't get me you wrong. Bounce, uh, you can bounce signal off a satellite too. You can Yeah, we we have low Earth orbit satellites for ham radio, but I, I will let me let me talk to the satellite point. Um, I again, I'll go back to my statement earlier. If you can fit that in your budget and you can run a satellite phone and ham radio and all that, do it. Because if I'm in the bottom of a valley and I broke my leg and and I've got a, a Baofeng or a satellite phone, well, I'm going to pull out the satellite phone because it's the thing that's looking straight up into a, ge a geosynchronous satellite to be able to communicate. So coming out of a valley or a low spot and you again, broke your leg, you're in a situation where you have a medical emergency, give me the satellite phone any day of the week. I'm totally down for that. But you're also paying for that monthly. It's a not inexpensive service to keep that up. So that's, yeah. you know, something you got to keep in mind. Yeah. Having backups for backups is always worth. Talking. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's you guys hear the pace plan concept, right? You guys run the pace mm -hmm. plan thing. It was something I learned from uh, from Fieldcraft Survival. Whereas you, you, you got your, your primary, your alternate, your contingency, and your emergency comm plans, right? That's, that's what the yeah. comms plans uh, the special forces use in the United States. They have a pace plan for everything. And every letter of that is a different radio. It's, it, it can't be just, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use uh, the same radio, and I'm going to do single sideband, and then I'll try Morse code, and then I'll try this. and I'll, No, it's you got your cell phone as a primary. Your alternate might be your uh baofeng your other option is going to be your satellite phone or maybe your emergency is your satellite phone right so you you've got this scale of redundancy built in and and that's uh that's something that i i try and recommend people think about a lot when they're putting stuff together like this oh yeah yeah it's it's all about backups for the backups and mm -hmm. ham radio is a fun backup or it could be a primary either uh, way it's a it's fun to play with yeah, it, it's it's a great hobby, and it has uh, it has value um, that that you know it's hard to it's hard to beat the the what you can get out of ham radio. Yeah. Uh, like well, assuming that uh, the somebody's already got their Baofeng underneath their their belt and everything else, and uh, they're dealing with VHF UHF, would you, would you uh, recommend like any particular radio for uh, uh, the next step up? I guess. It, it, I get this question so much too. It's really a question of budget. It's really a question of like how much money you want to spend on it. Because if you tell me I want possibly like the thing that's going to cover many different options um, and, and let me have the ability to do all kinds of fun stuff, I'll tell you to go buy an you know, FT5D, which is a $500 handheld, right? That's not cheap, but with that, we get to do something called APRS, which will take our uh, GPS information that it receives, and we can use it also like an email system, but over VHF, UHF for close-in text messaging. It's hard to do that with cheaper radios. There's really none that are on the market um, that will do that. But the uh, the standout, I'll call them the 150-ish one, range, there's a couple that jump out. Um, 
most of the Japanese manufacturers, and, and I, I appreciate I need to go back and st a step a bit. The the manufacturers that make ham radios of the highest quality are the Japanese manufacturers, generally. And they are Yesu, Icom, Kenwood, and Alinko. And then there are also now uh, entering the fray with Baofengs and whatnot, a lot of Chinese manufacturers. And the general sentiment is that the Chinese radios are of cheaper quality, or at least down here, some of them don't meet FCC standards. But that's for your $25 jobber. If you step it up to like $150, possibly $200, even a Chinese radio gets much, much better. But some standouts uh, in this space that I always like to rec recommend, it's still a tried-and-true radio, the Yaesu FT60. It was my first ham radio. It's still good. It's not whiz-bang. It's like a, what's it, like a T-34 Russian tank. It's it's like just a, a tank of a, a radio. But it's consistent and it works, and it's like 160 bucks. If you want to go cheaper than that, the Yaesu FT4 is like a Baofeng. It's $75, so it's it's much more expensive. But it's um it's what we call spectrally clear, so it, it meets the FCC requirements for um, transmitting within the space that it's supposed to. There's also a Chinese manufacturer uh, that goes by Wushun, which is W-O-U-X-U-N or something like that. It's basically Ocean, if you look at it, Wushun. Um, and they make actually surprisingly good radios, high-value radios, that'll run you anywhere from like $150 to $200. Uh, just assume, whatever you're budgeting, you got to tack on an extra $25, $35 for a good antenna. So budget that into the mix as well. I recommend the um, Signal Stuff Signal Stick, which to my testing has been the the best performer, and that's uh, made in Utah, and it's made by another ham, and he'll ship them to you direct, and, and they're very good performing antennas. Nice. Yeah, I got to get my hands on a, on a Signal Stick for sure and mm. play around with them. Now, now I gotta now I gotta correct myself a little bit. One downside sure. with the signal stick, um, yep. they are susceptible to extremely cold environments. So well, I realize while them. I'm sitting here that uh, <laughs> we should probably we should probably clarify this point a little bit. Uh, uh, it doesn't get cold here. It's nah, fine. There are some of them uh, that that have, and it's not really an issue. It's 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 by design because the material they use is a whippy, very whippy. You can actually tie it into uh, like a, a forehand loop, and then if you put it in extreme cold temperatures, it'll It'll kind of go a little soft on you if you get the if you gotcha. get the idea. So there, the Nagoya might be the option if you're in an extremely cold environment. Ian's got the right idea there. Uh, but the signal stuff signals they have a couple of different options, and I believe one of them is is more immune uh, to the cold environment. Gotcha. So again, know your environment, uh, yeah. buy appropriately to where <laughs> you live for sure. Yeah, good to know. Um, can we touch a bit more on uh, on ARPS? I know uh, I watched your video on that uh, a little while ago, and now I got to go out and get uh, get a radio because um, yeah, all kinds of cool stuff. Yeah, it's it, it's an interesting oh, man. This is how, what's it? I always try to figure out the best way. What's the elevator speech for a lot of ham radio stuff? You got you got to make it real <laughs> succinct and to the point. Yep. So there, there was once upon a time there was this thing called packet radio. Packet radio eventually turned into a lot of some of the stuff we do on the internet now these days, but that evolved a bit and became APRS, which is automatic packet reporting system. I mentioned GPS. Some people don't like that because yeah. they will say, why would I want to beacon out my position in a bad situation? Well, the good news is, is that's not its primary function. That's not why you're using this. 
you could if you want if you again if you had a unit of people a group of people and you wanted to stay close cons with each other uh that would be a a, a fantastic thing to use so you can see where everybody's at because it will actually report where you're at and it'll figure out based off of your location and what their last packets were how far away they are from you and in what direction and whatnot that's just one aspect of it with aprs because we can uh, transmit text messages and if we so we can just go one to one boom i can send you a text message you can get it you can fire one back to me real easy on the flip side if you've got repeaters in your area that work aprs and they have a connection to the internet you can send text messages to loved ones on traditional phone lines sms text messaging and also do email with them so it's a it's again one of those layered uh systems for communication which is it i, I think it's just great uh, when you think about it and there's a couple of ways to do it on the cheap the way i generally do it is using a tablet and a small device that connects to my radio, and it kind of transfers those uh, that audio tone into, it, it digitizes it over Bluetooth so that I can let the tablet make the tones correctly for doing APRS. Yeah, way too many options that uh, that I want to play with. So yeah, I, I know. I got an APRS radio. It's It's on the list now. <laughs> well, you, you, uh, I mean, you could you can do that. There's a couple of, I mean, the Raspberry Pi will do it. If you don't have an APRS radio, you can just fire that um, that audio directly into the, the Raspberry Pi okay. and let an application called Direwolf uh, do the heavy lifting oh. to convert that into back into the AX25 packets. I know I'm throwing out a lot of terms, okay. and I apologize, so just hold me okay. accountable. Um, <laughs> but uh, you can also use just like a cheap, I, I have a, tablet that I bought from Walmart for a hundred bucks and I interface it with a, a little dongle and the dongle basically connects to my radio and, and that's what brokers that communication. So I can use a Baofeng. Yeah. I can use a Baofeng okay. with this little dongle, which is it's a hundred bucks. So it's not cheap, um, but it Bluetooths the tablet and then it'll do APRS. That's, that's basically uh, what it'll do. Okay. So it gets the signal and then the, the dongle looks after all the translation of the signal coming in through the Baofeng. That's right. It does the okay. in and out of the Baofeng, gotcha. sends it over to the tablet, and then the yeah. tablet will do the visualization of the text messages or the map okay. or whatever it is you're working on. Oh, it's handy. I got a video on that. It's like the $100. Why you need a tablet for ham radio is it's there's a wealth of stuff you can do with a with an ant specifically Android tablet now. Uh, there's a lot of cool stuff you can do. Nice. So now I need an ARPS radio <laughs> and an Android tablet. Thanks, Josh. Yep, that's yeah. right. <laughs> the $100 job's good. Yep. The Lenovo yep. M8 $100 job, that you don't need much more than that for ham radio. So we translate that from American to Canadian. That's about 1000 bucks. Got it. Yeah, just times that's it right. by 10 or yeah, something yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> Back to the uh, preparedness-minded stuff, Josh. Do you yep. like uh, kind of run a... I guess a backup power system other than saying like having a, a home generator or whatever, do you have keep like a battery bank in your, you know, your ham shack ready to go or do you, how do you kind of work that? Yeah, I, I have a couple of options. I, I've got a, uh, I've got a foldable 100 watt solar panel and a Jackery uh, power bank. And I got to say this cause I get called out all the time because apparently Jackery is voracious with their marketing. They didn't send it to me for free. There's like a thousand YouTubers that are out there all talking about these Jackery power banks. Um, I went and bought it. It's really good. I call it the uh, the daddy uh, battery to make sure the kids are satisfied. So you could put that in the backyard and keep that charged up, and that would keep all the, the home electronics going. But for my ham shack, for my more significant equipment, uh, I have a 100-watt monocrystalline 
uh, Renogy panel that I bought off of Amazon. I think so. Generally, you look at um, solar based off of how many watts you get per dollar or the lack thereof. And at the time I bought it, I think it was just under a dollar a watt for these monocrystalline panels, which may still be available. Very inexpensive. You mount it on the roof um, into a charge controller, wherever you want to put it. And then you can plug your battery bank into that. And you don't have to use that, right? That's just energy you've collected. It's like having a rain bucket for rainwater. Well, collect that sun power, right? You don't need a, a huge bank of batteries that you're going to dump back on the grid with for like a power, you know, for, for saving money on your power bill. This is just a panel that's for you for running, charging your handhelds or and actually and and also to keeping all your batteries charged up. That's what right. I do. Yeah, I just got a smaller scale version of that. Same idea, just a battery box and an ammo can with a solar, you know, charge controller and a solar yeah. panel and everything set up, just so I could charge basically the handhelds more than anything else. There's, there's kind of a, I mean, let let's let's put this in. Let's go a step further. So an emergency happens. What's the first thing you do? You go grab your your Baofeng that you left on the shelf for six months, right? That you don't know how to use. Well, shouldn't we also? We don't also want to have to charge up empty batteries when an emergency happened, right? We don't want to have to go assemble a solar panel. Um, in the backyard, it, it's better if um, we've got even a, a small panel, 60 watt panel, 40 watt panel that's permanently set up outside that you can kind of just keep things topped off, right? And then if you have a problem, well, you can grab those batteries immediately without having to say, oh, I need to wait for the sun because it could be at the middle of the night when something happens. It could be bad weather. You guys get actual real weather up there where solar might be an impossible thing that you can work off of. Then you're diving into inverters and all that fun stuff for generators, right? Yeah, there is a little sure. bit of weather here. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. yeah, fair enough. Well, what do you, uh, I mean, I'll ask a question and what do you guys do for in, inverting uh, for power? Because you, you likely all got in, uh, generators and whatnot, right? I basically just have a generator hooked into the house for lack of a better way to describe it. So I can yeah. just have some backup circuits more than anything else, plus the solar setup. And that takes mm -hmm. care of my needs. Most of my solar stuff setup is designed to run off USB ports or I have a 12 volt cigarette later on in it as well if I need to. Nice. And I have a small inverter in there as well I can use if I really want to, but it's a, it's a power hog. So, I mean, you yeah, kind of have this... to go down that road, though, right? When you're yeah. when you're thinking about how you're going to power things, particularly power is actually kind of a, a concern when you're in a full grid down type setup. Mm. Yep. On a related note, uh, as far as backup, I guess our you know contingency gear. Uh, do you have some sort of like a surge or grounding setup that that you would recommend or like maybe you want to talk about here, just for uh, you know anything from not necessarily EMP, but I'd say lightning strikes or something like that. Oh, buddy. Here comes the next argument. Yeah, yeah. boy. Oh, you just... <laughs> you well, thought those were bad. You, you, saw the, you, saw the, you saw the notes there. I said a thousand opinions and, you know, but... <laughs> yeah, you, you couldn't have hit on a hotter uh, ham radio yeah. hot button topic yep. than grounding. So there, there's generally like a... Um, there's generally three types of grounding that we, we're considering when we talk about amateur radio. Uh, it's AC safety ground, um, like you'd have in your home, the third prong or, you know, whatever you've got for your safety connection to, to, to your ground bar, uh, to your AC service. Then there's lightning protection. And then there is RF protection or RF uh, management would be a better term. So I'll, I'll hit the lightning one first, because that's kind of the, the one that's a little bit easier. The lightning there's no particular reason, although you have a higher chance of lightning to strike your antenna as you get a 
taller and taller antenna. The, the concept you want to keep in mind is lightning is just trying to get to ground. That's what it wants to do. So oftentimes, if you've got a, a tower, maybe a modest tower, like you got some top rails for fencing, you stacked them up, bolted them together, you got 30 feet or so, and then you throw a five-foot VHF, UHF antenna on top of that. Well, that coax has got to come down, right, to get back into your shack, right? Everything's fed off a of coax. Well, right when it hits the ground, uh, the general recommendation is drop an eight-foot ground rod. Boom, right there. Drop an eight-foot ground rod. And then do uh, an inline lightning suppressor, right? It's a little spark gap lightning suppressor that mounts directly on that ground rod. And the coax has a coax connector, a PL, uh, PL259 connector, slaps right onto that, tighten it down, do your weatherproofing on it. You use uh, self-amalgamating tape to do that. And then on the other end, the other side of that um, spark arrestor, the coax goes into your shack or goes into your home or wherever it is you run your radio. So that's the lightning protection. Um, for the AC protection, you generally want to make sure that whatever you're using to power your 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 radio uh, gets back to the AC ground, right? So if you've got your service panel for your home, there's a ground connection there. There's likely a ground rod probably down on the ground just, just south of the uh, panel there. You want to try and get tapped into that. Uh, for your radio, particularly the power supply, you may be using AC to give you the DC power to run your radio. That's generally the, the best advice. And then for the RF, the RF maintenance or the RF protection, if uh, I'm talking to you on a computer, I'm looking at a, a, a camera and right underneath it is my radio. And these things are all in close proximity to each other. All electronics gives off RFI, radio frequency interference. If it's drawn power, it's creating an electromagnetic field around itself. Well, the goal that we're always trying to maintain is that no one of those devices exists on a different ground potential than the radio that has an antenna attached to it. So you get them all equalized. And the way you do that is what we call bonding. The simplest way to bond is you take a scrap piece of copper plumbing, hammer it flat, uh, tack it on the back of your desk, bolt it in there, or you know use use screws, use wood screws. I don't care at this point. Uh, but you want to then take ground lines, like wire lines, or even better braided cable that you can buy for grounding, and you just want to ground everything: your computer, your your monitor monitors, cameras, radio, bind, bond it all together. And then that will make it so that you get the best possible receive audio quality on the radio. Um, if we're in a grid down situation, you may not be running a computer at all. You're only going to be running the radio and everything else is going to be shut off. Then you got no problem. Uh, but if, if you're just going to be getting your ham radio license, learning about radio, then, then you should start thinking about that. And you'll kind of, you'll know if you need it because you'll have, the, the noise on your radio will be really, really high. And signals that you should be able to hear people talking, they'll be really faint uh, into the noise and, and you won't be able to make contact with people. And, and that will show up on VHF, UHF, as well as uh, on your base station radios. I know I hit you with a lot. That, that's a big topic. Grounding is a, is a big can of worms. I think I have like four or five videos that are just on different aspects of that topic because it's such a such a rabbit hole 
well, they always say this. You get four hams talking about it, you get at least five opinions. But oh yeah, it's if not more. <laughs> but I guess the problem is, I guess more from a I guess preparedness aspect, you know, of the the catastrophic damage from that's surges right. of any type is more than I was worried about than anything else. Yeah, that's why I hit those first two. So that the yeah. AC, you got to do the AC ground uh, because you do. This is less of a problem with the with more modern radios, but there are some cases where if you had an old two prong radio with two prong power and you flipped the uh, plug over, you'd actually energize the case of the radio, and if you touched it, you'd shock yourself. <laughs> uh, not much of a problem these days, but that's something to consider. So, um, generally, if you're running off of batteries or you're running off of solar, or you're doing something like that, then then y- you can forego a bit of grounding. The lightning protection is, you got to do that, I think. I think that at some point, if you're putting up a rail or you're putting up a small tower, you got to consider that. That's not a ton of money to smack in a ground rod. Um, and those lightning arresters are, are inexpensive too. Yeah. So going back to what Eric was saying earlier, and it's all antenna and it's all feed line. That's where you got to spend your money. That's where you get the best bang for your buck. Yeah. So the lightning protection is part of that, right? And the grounding Absolutely. for that. Absolutely, yeah. I think the, uh, the the crimper is to make your own PL two fifty nine as well. It's probably a little helpful more than anything else. Because trying to buy indi- individually uh, measured pieces of wire, it's going to be a little tougher. Well, I'm I, I'm in the right place because I, I definitely listen to this show, and I know you guys like hand tools. So join Ham Radio <laughs> because we got more hand tools yep. than anything you could ever want to imagine. <laughs> I'm looking at three crimpers right here. I could go yep. grab them for you to show you. Uh, yeah, we there's a there's a real there's a real advantage too. That's a really good point, Ian. That cutting your coax to length appropriate is a lot cheaper. So if you go buy a big spool of coax, uh, it's a lot cheaper to cut your own and, and crimp on connectors and do the work there. than go to, you know, whatever online store, DX engineering, giga parts, ham radio outlet, whatever, and buy pre-cut stuff. It's, it's always going to be way more expensive if you do it that way. And it's well, 10 times easier to run without the ends on it. So. Yes. hundred percent. hundred percent. And not having too yeah. much of it either, having you know, excess uh, antenna yeah. cable because you bought a 50-foot length, you only needed a 20-foot length and yep. wondering why your, your decibel loss is huge, right? Yep, that's that's uh, uh, per- that's particularly important with VHF, UHF, 100%, yep. You were talking about um, just general RF interference. Mm-hmm. In a grid-down scenario, physically, how would ham radio change, i.e., would we have much better signals because oh, there'd be yeah. so much less interference from, from I mean, I, I got neighbors on both sides of me. You know, I can, I can reach out and hit the house, you know, almost. Um, just think of everybody's Alexa and TVs and computers and refrigerators and freezers. Who, whatever plugs into the grid, it's all gone, right? I, I've, uh, w- whenever the power goes out, this is a, another fun uh, guilty pleasure hams do. <laughs> is we all run to our ham shack, we grab our batteries, we, we turn our radios on, and we start making as many contacts as we can because our nose floor goes to zero. Like, it's almost to the point that it doesn't even look like your radio's turned on. It's amazing. And so you're, you're out there, <laughs> and you're hammering contacts with people, with stations, people, that you you couldn't even hear in your in your greatest dreams if if the street lights are on for instance right it'll just yep. kill all that stuff uh i i love it when the power goes out i hate to say that but i do <laughs> <laughs> it's like stargazing from a city right same idea Let's oh, go out. great yep. point yeah all the all the guys it, it's it's me running to the shack to grab yep. the batteries and it's all my buddies with the telescopes going to the front yard to start yep. looking at jupiter <laughs> <laughs> yeah it is it is a fun time it's uh 
you get to test out some preps and you get to fire up the radio. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> boy, that's a really good point too, is lighting. Yep. If you're going down that road, uh, have a consideration for good sustainable lighting, like little lanterns that you can run off of or charge off of your solar panels. If you're, if you're going to do something that's, that's more persistent, right? You got a panel, yep. it, it has a charge controller, have something like lighting attached, have good headlamps because I, I I'm in a, a shack, right? If there's no lighting in here, I'm in the dark. So I've got, yep rechargeables that are, are right here that I can grab and I can I can start playing radio. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. Um, all of the different interesting side things, the APRS, the SSTV decoders, all that kind of stuff. Which are the ones you see as being most useful in a grid down scenario? And which of your videos would you recommend kind of leading into those projects? That's a good question too. Uh, I, I just did a video on, so this goes back to everybody. For, let's go from the beginner standpoint and work our ways up. So for the beginners, I did a video. This is for you right now. Don't wait for a grid down situation. I did a video called Baofeng, Noob to Experienced or Zero to Hero. I forget what I made the title, but, and it literally takes you through how to use the Baofeng from the zero point level up to actually programming the thing and being able to use it. And I did it in about an hour, which I got to say, that's, that's that's good for me. That's about as best I've ever done. Uh, so uh, I, I would recommend people go listen to that to get to get started. But then if you want, if you're asking, what do I think is going to be the most used in a disaster situation? Well, we're, we're still in VHF town. I, I think all emergencies are local, uh, particularly when the grid's down, when first responders are taxed, when you have a difficulty in even getting supplies you need. Most people are going to be coordinating at the local level. And if you couple that with cell phones not working, you're going to have to rely on close in comms and VHF simplex, which for Canada and the United States is 146.520 megahertz. That is the frequency you should have programmed on your radio when you don't know what's going on or you're in an emergency situation and you think it's some kind of maybe not long term, but just something going on, an emergency maybe that's happened. Turn that frequency on, start listening. You should definitely have a standard receiver, just a AM FM radio. If you want one of those emergency jobbers, uh, Cato makes a good uh, radio. They're, they're made in California and they do solar panel and they're hand crank and they'll do AM FM, which I think is something you should be monitoring too. Um, and also uh, hand crank for, you know, just keeping it, keeping it going if you want to do it that way. As far as going further down that line, um, if you're a little more experienced with ham radio, you should definitely get into HF because you can be talking to people outside of an emergency area, outside of an infected area or whatever's going on, affected, not infected. We didn't say zombie apocalypse, so I'm going with affected. Um, in, in that case, you can be talking with people that maybe just outside the impacted area that you're in, see how things are going there, get a kind of lay of the land. But also, then you can do things like WinLink, and you can do things like get emails out to friends and family that are outside, let people know you're okay. Um, it, it's really going to depend. If, if I was, if we were in a situation where cell phones were down and the internet wasn't working at my home and in my town, well, it's possible I could fire off an email using APRS with my VHF UHF radio. And because that's like maybe a repeater a county over. Maybe they got internet. I'll try it. Boom. There you go. 
If we're worse off than that, then now I'm trying to make these wind link contacts with HF radio where I'm doing, you know, 400 miles to get to the nearest node that can pick me up for doing this email. In that case, um, that's going to be a lot more important, particularly if I need to get some message out. So it's, it's really going to depend. It, it, it's really right. hypothetical on the, uh, the scenario that we'd be painting. I like the grid down scenario because that has uh, very wide reaching um, potentials for if it's prolonged, you know, for instance, when you, you will need to start looking outside, you will need to start reaching out to people that you may, you know, friends and family call for help on. Awesome. Cool. Uh, quick uh, answer to, uh, to AJ. Do you want uh, Jim Carrey back? Nope. You can keep him. It's all yours. Uh, <laughs> so actually from Rob, got a good question here. And I think I know the answer, but I'm going to leave it to the experts here. Uh, what about solar cells on your roof? How much RF interference can that affect uh, your noise floor? It used to be a non-issue. I'll let you guys jump into because you, you actually use them a lot. But uh, there's two points I want to mention with this. This used to be much less of an issue when we had many panels connect to uh, one single charge controller. The noise creator for ham radio was always those charge controllers. There's a company called Genesun. They make charge controllers that are extremely low noise. They're pretty well priced. And that's what a lot of amateur radio operators will use. The problem we're getting into now, and it's, you know, it's happening all around us here in the suburbs, people are, uh, companies are moving to solar panels that have charge controllers on the panel. So they'll have many panels, many charge controllers, and they all have a feed line. Well, that feed line starts to act like an antenna. And so now you got 20-something noise generators on a roof creating this spurious emissions, this spurious RFI. And that could be a big nightmare. That could be really, really difficult to deal with. So it's really going to depend on the system that you're um, you're buying into. If you've got a service or if you're building it your own, I would argue go check out Genesun and uh, get some of those panels off of Amazon. If you're if you're building something small, if you're trying to feed the grid, I, that's a that's outside my expertise. But you guys probably all have thoughts too. Go for it. Uh, actually, for myself, I would just say it's just if you just have one panel. It's, you know, producing 18 volts, maybe tops, maybe 19 mm -hmm. volts, whatever. And, you know, you're running a, maybe a 20, 30 foot line to your, to your uh, charging battery bank. How much uh, interference is that going to cause versus all the other appliances going off in your house <laughs> at this yeah. point? So, I mean, honestly, yeah, I wouldn't think it'd be a big deal unless you had a massive setup, like you mentioned, with multiple controllers or, so, or, that, or just dirty yeah. power for that matter, like dirty charge controllers or anything else. The best thing you do is yeah. get a good charge controller. And that'll save your butt more often than not. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've got no experience really at all messing around with the, the solar panels. It's on my, uh, it's on my list. And then I can run some tests when I, uh, when I get a few future episode. <laughs> uh, let's see. And the, uh, just the, the other um, fun preparedness question we get all the time is uh, going back to getting your license. Um, I'll be on a government list now. Why would I want to get my license? I mean, aren't we all on a government list if we drive a car? You're watching this podcast. You're on a list. I, <laughs> what, what, there's, there was always a joke we had with um, with people. I, I used to work in IT before I became an engineer. And we'd always hear from people. It's like, I think I, think I got hacked. And we'd always ask yep. them, why do you think you're so important that anyone would want to hack you? Because <laughs> the, the reality is that nobody's really 
coming for you. Um, yeah. And ham radio operators are some of the most like innocuous people probably on earth mm -hmm. um, that there's people don't really care. Um, and if somebody's trying to build a profile on you, there's more than enough information they have on you already than yep. what you uh, provide for your ham radio license. And I'll remind people, at least down in the States, I don't know how it works up there. We can provide our PO box as our home address. And that's exactly what I do. We can hide our addresses in the database here. So your, yeah. uh, your hometown will be listed, but uh, your actual physical address will not be. So I have, by applying and getting a ham license, you're proving that you obey the law. So I don't think you're going to go ahead and watch this <laughs> after that. And by the same token, though, up in Canada here, as soon as you get a firearms license, you're you're on a list and you're getting daily criminal background checks. So I think yep. that that ship has sailed. So yeah, most people already have a dossier of information that, by the way, that we self-provided by creating Google accounts, yep. Facebook accounts, and <laughs> yep. every other uh, voluntary means of information that we've provided. And all of that information is more interesting to government types, nefarious yep. people types than what you would put in your ham radio application. Hundred percent, but that's such a popular question in the in the preparedness community. Anytime you start talking ham radio, oh, it's a list. Well, you're already. On I got list. news for you, buddy. Ship <laughs> 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 sailed. Just and, get your name on another one. Carry on. And yep. really, if you're not on a watch list, you're not trying hard enough. I do believe that's a <laughs> yeah, quote that's right. from another podcast. So, yep. <laughs> ah, my, uh, my, I'm expecting my monthly order of saltpeter any minute now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, jeez. Yeah. Um, no, that's pretty much all I had. Uh, you guys got anything else? Yeah. Um, I was just going to touch on um, a couple of apps. Um, I know we've mentioned them in other uh, episodes that I've done on Ham. Uh, but, uh, of course, there's an app for it. Um, Echo Link, if you're not familiar, you can use yeah. uh, your cell phone. Uh, so that's another way you can kind of start playing around with radio after your license. You do have to provide your, your license information to them before they give you an account. Uh, but yeah, hop on Echolink. If, if you don't have the money for a radio right off the hop, mm -hmm. you can get on there and, and use your cell phone and start transmitting there. Maybe not the best way to, to start out, but it's a way. So look at that and it's handy one. to have. Yeah, yeah, I got a free one. Sure. You, don't need a, you don't need an app or anything like that. It's uh, uh, two websites. You go to Kiwi like the fruit mm. or the bird, Kiwi yep. SDR, Google that, all one word, or Web SDR. SDR yep. stands for Software Defined Radio. It's a map that you can pull up. There are stations around the world that you can click on their radio station and you can listen on their radio Perfect. station. And they listen HF, they listen VHF, UHF, and you can actually operate the radio from your home computer. You can't transmit. This is just a receiver. But every minute you spend doing that, you're going to be more familiar with radio than you were before. And if yep. you want to take ownership and have it on the local level, go on to Amazon and look up RTLSDR. RTLSDR is a, is a dongle. If you want a bit of a better version of that, it's Newelect, N-O-E-L-E-C, Newelect, or N-O-O, E-L-E-C, Newelec. They also have an SDR. It's a dongle. It plugs into your computer. You attach an antenna to it, which it could just be a long wire or a, an actual vertical, and you have a radio attached to your computer. And if you go watch my show on uh, you need a tablet for ham radio, I'll show you how to do the same thing with a cheap Android tablet. You get the same capability. 
Yeah, it's awesome. And there's no, no better way to learn how to transmit than to listen to everybody else for a while oh, you, and just get a feel it. for how it goes and how everybody's talking. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then eventually, yeah, you're going to have those uh, those first transmit jitters. Everybody has them, but at least you know the process. You're not going to throw your call sign out there and then somebody else is going to come back to you. And then you're going to be left sitting there going, oh, well, now, now what do I say? Right. Because you'll kind of see how it flows and how the conversation goes. And you'll also see how to end a conversation. So if you kind of get it in a little bit too far, far into the weeds of your conversation and you want to get out or you're just simply done, you know how to end that conversation as well. So it's it's well worth spending the time on an SDR, just listening. If you do have a radio to listen to, just sit yep. back and listen for a while. But don't let those first transmission jitters get you when you can definitely transmit. It, it's what very well said. Everybody... If you if you do go down this road, I argue I found I found amateur radio from um, listening to shortwave radio as a kid. I got a little shortwave radio as a kid, and I played that game where uh, I, I'd find a, a five foot piece of wire, and then another five foot piece of wire. And by the time I had a full antenna up, I think it was like twenty indiscriminate pieces of wire that I had all you know s- spun together. And I just listened. I just listened all the time. I listened to the amateur bands and the shortwave listening stations outside of the United States. Just listen all the time. Have a radio on in the background when you're doing stuff. Just just hear what's going on. Put it in scan and just let it do its thing. And then when you actually start transmitting, as Eric said, you'll be way more comfortable. And, and you're 100% correct uh, with that statement. Yeah, yeah That's uh, that's kind of how I started out as well. It's just listen, listen, listen. And then one day I said, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say hello to someone. And then away we went. And yeah. the addiction started. And now my desk is full of radios. But. And and you you bit hard because you're going to do POTA. And oh, I'm telling you, yep. that's that's an even oh, harder addiction now. Yeah. That's even can't harder. Wait. Now yeah, you got to start posting the YouTube videos for that. Going out when it starts yep. snowing and doing POTA. People love that. They'll lose oh, their I've, mind over that. That's awesome. We got to park just down the road. There's a local so. guy doing summit on the air right now. And so he's climbing mountains. He waits till he gets to the top and then he starts trying to make contacts. Yep. Oh yeah. I do and, that down here. We got a lot of yep. great mountains for that, but up there, you're going to have problems. I mean, we get snow too. Um, we got high elevations out here, but um, yeah, that that's, that's always a lot of fun. Summits on the air is, I know that not really a prepper discussion, but summits on the air is my favorite um, radio activity to participate in. And it can be a, a prepper conversation because you're packing your radio up, you're leaving the house and you're using it outside in a, in a different environment. So it totally relates to preparedness and, it, and moving your gear and knowing how to use it elsewhere. Mm-hmm. It's got a uh, physical, yeah. it's, it's got physical fitness involved too, which is, I think yep. something we always leave off the list uh, when yep. it comes to preparing. So yeah. you get out and do a soda a couple of times, you'll, you'll, you'll start oh, yeah. to, you'll start to feel it for sure. Yeah, absolutely. A um, couple other apps that, uh, that'll help you out. Um, an SSTV decoder. If you, if you really bite into to HF, cause why not? Uh, and uh, the repeater book app, I find that invaluable just mm-hmm. for having repeater yeah, access to repeater information in and around your area. Yes, it's based off GPS. Yes, the government's going to put you on a list, all that kind of fun stuff. But it's a it's a great uh, it's a great app, and it'll show you what's close by uh, within a certain proximity. It gives you the tones you need to get into those repeaters, all the information you need to know. Some of it might be a hundred percent, but majority of it's pretty accurate, mm-hmm. and. Super, super helpful, especially if you're traveling and you're not quite sure what's in your area. You can flip it up and it'll show you at the top of the list is the repeater that's closest to you and then it just goes down from there. Super handy. SSTV, which is slow scan television, is like sending a, a picture over a text message. And you don't have to do HF to do it. You, you can use a Baofeng to send SSTV. 
So don't, uh, yeah, you just use your cell phone or that Android tablet I mentioned, and you can send SSTV over your Baofeng if you wanted to. Which, hey, uh, medical professionals, you, you're, you're out in the field, right? Somebody's out in the field. And how do you get grid down situation, no internet? You get bit by a snake. You didn't kill it, but it's kind of out of your, you can't get to it, whatever. Snap a picture of it. Send the picture ahead of time or send it out to somebody and potentially have access to uh, anti-venom or whatever. That was the example I came up with. It's not the best example, that's, but that's a usable example for why you might want to send a picture in an emergency situation. That's a great way of explaining it. That's yeah. I, yeah, I've just played around with it because uh, yeah, memes are fun. Right. But uh, yeah, yeah, that whole emergency. <laughs> uh, yeah. That uh, yeah. That's, that's a great example for actually applying it to preparedness. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Oh, it's great. And it's, is it slow? Yeah, it's slowish, but oh, yeah. it's, it's going over the air with no actual connection to a third party service. So yeah, but it, it's totally something that can be done. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, and that's just a couple of quick little apps I figured would be, you know, something to have good in your, in your arsenal of, uh, of apps and they're useful and they're, and they're attached to ham radio. So why not, uh, get them and, and use them? Most of them are free too. Yeah. Right? Yep. So you can get out there and start playing. Yeah. Absolutely. And then if you get into satellites and stuff, there's satellite trackers, you can get those. And so there's, there's an app for pretty much everything ham radio. So don't be afraid to explore that, uh, that avenue as well. Does that, uh, does that cover everybody's questions? I think so. Awesome. Um, anything else that we didn't touch on, uh, Josh, that you think we should? Or? So many things, but you know, <laughs> how much time do we got? How, how, how long do you want me to rant for? Yeah. Uh, it's ham radio is a lifelong hobby. It's a hobby within hobbies, and it's it's uh, not a it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. So if you're listening to this and you're like, "Oh my god, I gotta go," take your time, budget, yeah. lay out a plan, what you want to do with radio. Again, think about where you're at, hams that are in your area, people that you can talk to, and if you don't have a lot of people, then that'll change your plan some. Just just approach it, uh, approach it methodically. And, and, and really do put, you know, it'll make your significant other happy if you think about the budget a little bit, I think. And, and in the long run, it'll help you actually have a better plan than buying a whole bunch yep. of boxes that sit in the garage and you don't use them. I don't want that, right? I, I want you to buy the things you're going to use um, yep. for what you think is going to help you for whatever you may face. Yeah, it's, it's all about asking questions and finding people that know about all the different niches in ham radio because you're not going to master everything. So focus on one, focus on the basics. And then once you're ready to branch out, reach out to your local club, reach out to the internet, you know, fire an email into us. If you need, if you have some questions, watch Josh's videos, he's got all kinds are fantastic, all kinds of topics you can touch on. Um, and just don't be afraid to branch out in the different areas of it. And some of it you're going to love and some of it you're going to hate stuff you hate. Don't do it. Simple as that. But uh, yeah, there's all kinds of different facets in, uh, in ham radio you can get into and, like uh, like Josh said, it's a it's a lifelong uh, endeavor, and why not uh, put it in as part of your preparedness plan? But at the same time, make it a, a hobby to you know keep your brain more uh, thinking and have some fun while you're at it, because it will definitely get your brain cells going. <laughs> How about we move into the podcast challenge? Well, guys, it is time to up your game in ham radio by watching Josh on his ham radio crash course, YouTube channel. Uh, he's got all sorts of great videos that are wonderfully educational and, uh, have been a great resource for all of us. And, uh, we think everyone should go and watch some. So keep it up, Josh. 
Well, thank you. I appreciate that, guys. I really do. Yeah, actually, I the the Zero to Hero with the Balfang in an hour. That was pretty awesome. I watched that. It was a live. <laughs> wasn't it a live stream? It was pretty live. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it no. was live. So we I was I was watched that live, and it was like, oh, I didn't know that. Didn't know that. And I was sitting there trying to keep up, and it was it was pretty awesome. <laughs> well, that's why it's on YouTube. You can just yeah. rewind yeah. it. Just feel free oh, to yeah. rewind it. Yeah. Oh no, that's that was a keeper for sure. That one. So yeah. and those uh, those asking in the live chat, I posted a link to that uh, specific video in the live chat. So so check it out. Anyway, uh, uh, move to deal of the week. All right, so we got the uh, SOG knife and shovel set on it. Cabela's half off. Uh, I do believe it is $60, something like that right now. Nice. Anyway, it's a knife, shovel, axe, and machete. So uh, good for camping if you have nothing else or the zombies. And uh, gives you a bit, little bit of each for uh, for a decent price. Is, is it the world's best uh, metal? No, but it's better than nothing. That's probably like, cut some coax with it, right? That's four-man zombie apocalypse yeah. kit right there. It's a knife, yeah. hatchet, shovel, and a machete. That's that's. Yeah. You can arm up a whole group right there. Exactly. <laughs> and it's not prohibited here. Not there yet. Go. Give it time. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right. Let's move into some shout outs. Uh, so All just a right. quick shout out to Josh for uh, for coming out and uh, and spending your time with us. Uh, really appreciate you coming out and, and giving us some education on the ham radio because I think it's a really important part of uh, preparedness and anybody's preparedness plan. So, so thanks a lot for taking the time to come out. Yeah, absolutely. I love the podcast. I've been listening to you guys for a long time. Uh, like I said, I, well, like I said on my video, if you guys didn't watch it, uh, the EMP bucket video was a brainchild of you guys from your five gallon Homer bucket or five gallon bucket challenge, right? Um, I just took it to the level of, well, why not make it a galvanized trash can and make it a uh, an EMP Faraday cage? So that was uh, kind of your ideas that spurred that on. So yeah, thanks for awesome. doing what you guys do too. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> I got one for uh, Pierre and Brad just for driving up to see me uh, on relatively short notice. That was pretty awesome. It's nice to kind of like make connections across the country. So yeah, go for the nationwide mag. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna have to make it a longer one next time. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, uh, I'm shouting out uh, a bunch of new names we've seen in the chat today. That uh, it's, it's been a very lively chat, which I think is fantastic. So. Thank you guys for uh, for popping your two cents in. We appreciate it. It's been quite funny to to watch all the comments go up. Yeah. <laughs> shout out to uh, off the wall customizing Pierre and Melissa. You guys are awesome. They've uh, they've made Ian's sweater, and they made my wicked t shirt. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> nice. Had some had some comments about uh, the way my my facial hair looks in the uh, in the chat last weekend, and Melissa and Pierre are good friends, and they threw this t shirt for me together real quick. Said I have to wear it tonight. Okay, I'll wear it tonight. <laughs> well, thanks, guys. Awesome. All right. With that, I will bring uh, episode number 136 of the Canadian Prepper podcast to an end. Uh, you can find the podcast on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, or of course your favorite podcast app. Uh, please help us out, submit a review. It does help other people find us. You're muted, Brad. <laughs> <sighs> uh, all night that's been doing that. Yeah. We record these shows live on Facebook and YouTube. If you want an early peek at the show, please subscribe to the YouTube channel, Canadian Prepper Podcast, and click on the notifications tabs. This gives you alerts when we're going live, and you can contact me at monkman038 at gmail.com. Jeff. And if you want to send something for me or even uh, send money because my ham list just uh, 
got uh, incredibly large. <laughs> so uh, don't hesitate to uh, help me out here. You know, I'm the retired guy on the fixed income. So um, here I can we go. reach that feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. I think that is a great address to get Scott also feedback at prepperpodcast.ca or uh, find me on the air somewhere. Awesome. And I am pretty much everywhere. But if you want to find a quick way to find the Hammer No Crash Course, uh, just look me up on YouTube and go to any one of the video descriptions. We have a Facebook page. We have a Discord, which is a chat room, kind of like IRC back in the day, but you can do voice chat and text chat. I'm on Twitter and Instagram, and I'm even on the Tickety Talks. So you can go follow me on uh, TikTok as well. And I'm Hammer Radio Crash Course everywhere. Oh, and podcast. Thank you, uh, Nathan. We've got one of our uh, podcast producers in the house. He followed me over here. Uh, I have a podcast that has been running five hours an episode the last couple of weeks, which is totally insane. Uh, and I don't understand how that keeps happening. I don't know how we allow it, but uh, it's it's going. And it's all – wait, I take that back. It's kind of ham radio related, but it's called the Hammer to Crash Course podcast. And you can find me over there too, where I talk with my wife. I just found out that, about that just before the show. I'm like, oh, good. I'll have to subscribe <laughs> for that. I, when I'm working around the farm, I always need something to kill the kill the time with. So okay. As, as long as you're mowing lawn or you got like hours to spend, <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a good use case. So you that's throw that ideal. That. <laughs> Sitting in a deer blind, maybe. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> what kind of a hunter would do that, really? Seriously. Oh, not this guy. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, you can each reach Ian directly by emailing me at theislandrepeat at gmail.com. And you can also find me on Canadian Patriot Podcast on iTunes and YouTube, who records uh, Monday evenings at 9 p.m. Eastern. And you can also find me in the Discord group for both CPPs. Email us if you want an invite. Uh, there you can find us discussing why government waste in society triggers my need to build backup comms. <laughs> and I put the, the link for uh, Discord in uh, in the live chat here for our uh, our Discord. So. I'll uh, toss it back in here in a second. Uh, but if you want to get a hold of me, you can get me at uh, rapidsurvival.com. Uh, you can also email me at uh, feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. Uh, so thanks for joining us this evening. Uh, until next time, be prepared, stay safe, and keep learning. Mm-hmm.